Being seated, I invite you to uh, find your Bible and make your way to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. The text in the assigned readings in the Christian tradition for the first Sunday in Lent is the story of the temptation of Jesus because it is the 40 days of Jesus' temptation that have given us the 40 days of Lent. So Matthew chapter 4, I begin reading at the first verse. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, All these I will give you if, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God. We don't particularly like deserts. I remember one of my early teachers telling us that we can remember how to spell desert and how to spell dessert by remembering that desert has one S, dessert has two S's, and we always want more dessert than we want desert. And I've remembered that my whole life. We are not particularly fond of deserts or wilderness or desert experiences or wilderness experiences. But we know from the Bible that those desert or wilderness experiences can be very, very spiritually beneficial. In the Bible, we see Abraham meeting God out in the desert. We see Jacob meeting God and wrestling with God out in the desert. We see David fleeing from King Saul and meeting God in the desert. We recall from Galatians 1 that after the Apostle Paul's Damascus Road experience, he goes for three years, he says, three years, to what he called Arabia. Now for Paul in the first century, Arabia is what we would call the Jordan Desert. There around Petra, the Nabataean Kingdom. So as soon as Paul had his Damascus Road experience with the living Christ on the road, to Damascus, he went away for a three-year period, I believe, of reflection and training and edification, time alone with God, before he began his mission 
to the Gentiles. Of course, we know that Moses had 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. We know that Elijah had 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Why the desert? Well, the desert there in Judea is a place of great barrenness. There's not much there. For those of you that have traveled to Israel with me, if you've ever been in the Middle East, in Israel, you know that those deserts are very, very barren. So a desert is a place of barrenness. So that reminds us that the desert can be a place free of distractions. You want me to use the lapel mic or the other mic? I'll use the pulpit. Um, you don't know my friends in the balcony that are waving to me. So I'm, I, evidently I died with lapel mic. So, glad you didn't wait to the end of the service to tell me that. Anyway, the deserts obviously are a place of uh, barrenness, free from distraction. So throughout the Bible, we see these people fleeing to the desert to be free from distraction and to concentrate on hearing the voice, capital V, the voice of God. And just as Moses went for 40 days and 40 nights to the desert and Elijah, so does Jesus. That's what we see in the text before us this morning, the text that begins the Lenten season, our 40 days of embracing a wilderness wandering so that we can draw closer to God. We see in the text also in verse 1 that immediately before verse 1 of chapter 4 is the last verse of chapter 3. So we see that as soon as Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, as soon as the Father declared him to be the beloved with whom he, the Father, is well pleased, the text goes on to say, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So he goes out into the wilderness to do the same thing that many of his forebears had done before him, going out to the wilderness, embracing a desert moment to be free of distractions, to focus on listening to the voice, listening to the voice of God. So there goes Jesus. We learn something here in this text, and we shouldn't be surprised by this. As Jesus goes out into the desert, he quickly encounters the enemy, the enemy of our souls, the tempter, Satan, the devil. You know, there are differences between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Obviously, the biggest difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament, the New Testament is all about the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. But there are other more subtle differences between the Old Testament and New Testament. They're all sacred scripture to us. That's why we have both the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Testament in our Bible. There are other differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. For instance, in the New Testament, we are told over and over and over again, and we see illustrated over and over and over again, that we can call God Father. And that says something about our relationship with God now, as we are adopted into the family through the work of Jesus Christ. If you go to the Old Testament, you will rarely, almost never, see God referenced as Father in the Old Testament. There's a difference. There are some differences between Old Testament and New Testament. Another major difference that you may have missed, in the Old Testament you almost never encounter Satan or the devil. There are some allusions, there are some uh, indirect, somewhat direct references to the enemy of our soul, 
but what we find in the devil or rather in the Old Testament about the devil are rather oblique and rather hard to find. But when you turn, when you cross that 400 year period between Old Testament and New Testament, you turn into the New Testament, all of a sudden the devil's all over the place in the New Testament. Here Jesus, the very beginning of his ministry, goes out into the desert to spend time alone. And one of the first things that happens is he encounters the enemy out there, the enemy of our souls, Satan, the devil. We shouldn't be surprised that in those moments that are pregnant with great spiritual opportunity, we find the devil waiting for us. That's what we see happening here to Jesus as he's out in the wilderness seeking to do some significant spiritual work with the Father. You know, the devil, Jesus tells us, exists to, to bring confusion, to bring death. In John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Jesus tells us the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he, Jesus, comes to bring abundant life. So the devil does come to steal and kill and destroy. We see the devil in a remarkable way invading Ukraine. We see the death and the destruction that serves the purposes of the enemy of our soul. So we're not surprised that in those moments of perhaps greatest spiritual benefit, the devil will be waiting there to try to destroy us. Look at the temptation of Christ for a moment, the text. He goes out as soon as he's baptized. He's sent out by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. That's probably an understatement. The King James just said he was a hungered. Uh, we suspect that he fasted for 40 days, unless there's some uh, miracle here. He fasted for 40 days from food. But of course, human beings can't go for 40 days without water. He probably had water. These are typical fasts in the Middle East. They're even typical fasts, 40, 50 day fast, even among some Christians around the world, particularly in the Eastern Orthodox tradition and particularly in the Coptic tradition in the Egyptian Christian community. So they're, they're, they're fasting from food, but not necessarily fasting from water. Water is essential to human life is so essential we can't go but just a few days without water. I reference the work that we'll be doing to bring clean water to the Dominican Republic during the Lenten season. So here's Jesus. He is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and he is famished. But then look what he encounters. Verse 3, the tempter, the enemy of our souls, Satan or the devil, came and said to Jesus, if Hear the word if there, trying to sow seeds of doubt. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Not a bad thing. Feeding the hungry is a good thing. So Satan is trying to tempt Jesus with feeding his own hunger. And notice how Jesus responds. In the New Testament book of Ephesians, we're, we're told that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Well, you see Jesus here pull out the sword and use it. He quotes Bible three times to confront the three temptations from the devil. Uh, I worry sometimes that some contemporary Christians don't know the Bible well enough to even use it to resist temptation. Here Jesus unsheaths his sword of the Spirit. He quotes the Bible. We would call it, by the way, the book of Deuteronomy. 
He says, it is written, that's how he begins uh, responding to the temptation, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting what we would call Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's saying that he's going to trust in God to provide for him. Well, we all know how tenacious the devil is. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city. And by the way, holy city here and throughout the Bible and throughout Christian tradition is Jerusalem. Lest you not know that. Tammy and I recently were in Charleston, and I noticed for me the first time that they were calling Charleston the holy city. Didn't quite understand that. I know there's a lot of great churches in Charleston, South Carolina, but lest you not know the holy city in the Bible's Jerusalem. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, placed him on the pinnacle of the temple. Now you have to understand something about this pinnacle of the temple. It's the southeast corner of the ancient temple, and it was a 450-foot drop, according to Josephus, from the pinnacle of that temple down into the Kidron Valley. So here the devil takes him to the holy city, places him on the pinnacle of the temple, says to Jesus, again, if, sowing seeds of doubt, attempting to sow seeds of doubt, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down before for it is written. And we're really not surprised that at this point the devil starts quoting Scripture. We all know that the enemy can quote Scripture. And we also know that uh, the enemy quotes Scripture for the enemy's purpose. And the enemy quotes scripture, usually misquoting it for self-serving purposes. Notice what the enemy does here in the text. The enemy quotes scripture. It is written, and perhaps you'll know this is Psalm 91, that great psalm about God's protecting us, that great psalm that was placed in the air raid shelters in London during the blitz by the Nazis. Psalm 91 is a great psalm that speaks of God's protection to us. Notice how the enemy uses it. For it is written, and here he quotes the psalm, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Well, you see what the enemy does there. You see the word and there separating two quotations. Satan leaves out part of Psalm 91. He, he extracts something from this text. What he extracts from the text at this point is where the text says in Psalm 91 that God will guard you. God will guard you in all your ways. God will always protect us even if that means we, we can't jump off the pinnacle of the temple and be saved. God will protect us. God will get us home for the dark. Ultimately, God will take care of us. God will allow us to be hurt, but God will never allow us to be eternally harmed. So here's the devil quoting Scripture back to Jesus, of course, misquoting Scripture, using Scripture for his own purposes. And again, the devil's very tenacious. Jesus says to him again, quoting, again, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, again, it is written, devil, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't tempt the goodness of God. Don't tempt the mercies of God. Well, a devil, the devil doesn't give up easily. Verse, verse 8, And the devil again took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world with their splendor. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. 
from the beginning, Lucifer, the fallen angel, has been who he has been because he desires to be worshipped like God. To this day, the enemy of our souls wants us to worship him instead of God. And you notice here that the devil is offering to Jesus the kingdoms of this world. They are his to offer, by the way. And you probably know that one of the reasons Jesus came is to, to make the kingdoms of this world the kingdom of our God and his Christ. If you don't know that from the book of Revelation, you probably know that from Handel's Messiah. So the kingdoms of this world, when you think about the systems of this world, the way this world is orchestrated against God, they are under the control of the devil. That's why the New Testament, and you know this, calls the devil the God of this world, the God of this age, the prince of the power of the world. The devil has some free reign in this world today. Again, we see that in Ukraine. So when, when the devil offers to Jesus all the kingdoms of this world, if he'll bow down and worship him, the devil, He's offering what he has the right to offer. Jesus came into the world. This is basic Christian theology. Jesus came into this world, and this is your task, and this is my task. We as the church, we are working in the power of Jesus Christ to take back occupied territory. This world is created by God. This world completely and rightfully belongs to God, but there are parts of this world that are not under the domain of God right now. So Jesus has come to take back occupied territory. He wants to rule in your heart. He wants to rule in your family. He wants to rule in your community. He wants to rule in your world. And he uses us to bring that about. So when the devil said to Jesus, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world if you worship me. Of course, Jesus is not going to fall for that one. Jesus is not going to let anything or anybody be the center of his life except God the Father. So again, Jesus quotes Scripture to Satan. But before he quotes Scripture to Satan, he says, Away with you, Satan! In my translation, exclamation point. I'm so glad that I see Jesus getting frustrated with some people sometimes. He does that here. Away with you, Satan! For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Again, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6. And he's saying that all worship belongs to God. Anything that takes the place of God, anything that rivals God, anything that rivals God's attention in our life becomes a rival to God. That's why the Bible says the, that God is a jealous God. He, he doesn't want to share us with divinities of our own making. Jesus was there in the desert being tempted of the devil, not for his sake, but for ours. Jesus, when you see Jesus here, he, he's making it obvious to us that he is going to be the kind of Messiah that the Father sent him into the world to be. And you notice the devil didn't come after Jesus with, you know, those high-profile sins like murder and adultery and fornication and stealing. He didn't come after Jesus, and he usually doesn't come after us with those high-profile sins. We, we usually will resist those. He came after Jesus very subtly with some good things that could become sin. Jesus, feed the hungry. Jesus was not going to feed himself. Jesus, jump off the temple and display the glory of God to the world. Well, he was... 
he was wanting to display the glory of God to the world. He's going to display it on a cross rather than theatrics there off the temple. Jesus, I will give you the kingdoms of this world that you want, and I've got, I'll offer you a shortcut that will bypass the cross. Just worship me. Jesus has come to take the kingdoms of this world and to make them the kingdom of our God and his Christ. One of the things Jesus is showing us here, and we need to remember this church, we have to make sure we're the people God's called us to be. And the other thing Jesus is showing us here, we have to do God's work God's way. He could have taken the kingdoms of this world and bypassed the cross. Sometimes we want to do God's work the world's way. But God is calling us to do God's work God's way. You know, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, which Jesus recommends, recommends greatly to us, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see that God let the children of Israel wander for 40 years in the desert so that he could test them and display what was in their hearts. That's what the book of Deuteronomy tells us. Here we see Jesus being tested. We see what's in his heart. Sometimes God lets us be tested to see what's in our heart. During the season of Lent, we allow ourselves to be tested. We embrace saying yes to God, but we also embrace saying no to ourselves so that we can test ourselves, so, so that what is in our heart will be displayed, so that we can offer more of our life, more of our hearts to Christ, so we can offer our hearts to Christ and say, cleanse us, O God, renew a right spirit within my heart. You see Jesus being tested here. It wasn't for his sake. It was for our sake. You see Jesus being tested here so that his heart could be displayed to us. So, friends, look at the heart of Jesus. Draw close to the heart of Jesus. Hear the heart of Jesus beating out of love for you. Feel his love for you. Know what he has gone through for us. And know what he has accomplished for us. Easter's coming. We will celebrate eventually that he is more than conqueror. And through him we too can be more than conqueror. Would you pray with me? God, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. We pray, O oh God, that you will cause earthly distractions to cease, even those good things that fill up our lives, so that we can keep the best thing central. We want you to be Lord of our lives. We want to turn every area of our life over to you. We start by turning our hearts over to you. And then we turn every department of our lives over to you. Help us to turn more of ourselves toward you, Lord Christ, than we've ever turned before. Help us to convert more of our lives to your Lordship than we've ever allowed you to do before. In the name, the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.